verse 25. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 19 through 25. because I know that everybody who's a member of Great Zion knows where Matthew is. It is not in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. And I know that you know it is the first book in the New Testament, so I know you're there, right? Amen. And I know you know where chapter one is, correct? All right. Let's go to verse 19. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. All this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. She will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What's in his name? That's what I want to wrestle with for the next few moments, what's in his name? When I read that, I was driven back, of course, to one of my favorite readings of Romeo and Juliet. Juliet was speaking of Romeo when she asked the famous question, what's in a name? Juliet went on to say that a rose by any other name would still smell as sweet as a rose. Rename it if you will. A rose will retain its beauty and its fragrance because a rose is still a rose even if you change its name. She had a point. In fact, we want to wrestle and create the tension in the text, at least for your own comprehension. Isn't a name simply a collection of alphabet letters? If we can't judge a book by its cover, surely we can't judge men and women merely by their names, creating tension. Doesn't this principle apply also to the name of Jesus? 
It is not what we call him that matters, but who he is that matters. The name provides him with no power, but he certainly has a way of empowering the names. That name is a matter of five simple letters in the English language, and yet, as an old gospel song phrase it, there's something about that name that does something to us. Have you ever noticed of all the titles and designations for Jesus that are given in the scripture, and there's some 700 plus of them, none of them are mentioned more than the name of Jesus itself. Mm -hmm. The name we use the most, the name we invoke in prayer, the name that the world recognizes, even if we quote it along with the other names. There is certainly power in the name, there is power and comfort and authority in the name. In fact, at the time of the birth of Jesus, you may not know this, but the name Jesus was not a unique name. Contrary to what people think, there were many boys in the days of Jesus whose name was actually Jesus. In fact, we do know that as we mentioned this morning that the name Jesus is a Greek equivalence of the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means Joshua, which means God of salvation or God saves. It's a reminiscing to recall the great leader of Israel who succeeded Moses in leading the Israelites into their promised land. But the real essence of the applying of the name of Jesus is that Hebrew families gave their son a name to pay homage to a national hero. Jesus would eventually become not a national hero in the eyes of those to whom he lived among, but generations to come, a hero in the lives of those to which he came to save. It also carries a timeless message that when we talk about Jesus, God saves it also is a answer to every challenge, problem to which we encounter. Again, the name Jesus, it's not surprising that it was used by many others. In fact, Josephus says that there were some 20 different men of distinction known by the name Jesus and 10 of them were contemporaries of Jesus alone. But during the lifetime of Jesus, that name continued in popularity until a few years after his death and resurrection. Then all of a sudden, the name of Jesus disappears from both history and consensus. Why? Because it had taken on a brand new and controversial meaning. Christians believe that no child was worthy to bear that name that is above all names, in fact, for non-believing Hebrews, the name evoked an influence that they were not willing to embrace. In other words, if you were known by the name of Jesus, that meant that you must be connected to those who were followers of the Jesus. If that were the case, your life may have been very well put on the line. But watch how this worked. Whose idea was it to call the child in Mary's womb, Jesus. Most parents were privileged enough to name their own child, 
But when the angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, who wanting to put his wife away secretly that he might marry her, knowing that if she is impregnated, who's the daddy? Because Joseph says, I have not known her. And certainly knowing who her history was, she would not have stepped outside of our engagement. Who could possibly be the father? God in his infant wisdom shows up by the way of an angel and tells Joseph, don't worry about it. I got this under control. Marry her because the child that she has didn't come from human stock but was given by the Holy Spirit. The very story of Jesus' birth is not only miraculous in itself, but has never been repeated since. Never again did the Holy Spirit come into the womb of any woman and give her the promised seed of all of humanity. He showed up again and worked in the womb to bring forth life, but never again the promised seed. Remember, Joseph was coping with the shock of finding out that his fiancée was going to have a child that he didn't know who the father was. And he, of course, felt angry and felt disgrace at a young man, would certainly feel in this manner. But then this angel comes and makes this announcement. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife for the child that she has is from the Holy Spirit. Angels dispatched from eternity. Then God provided the name of this child, Jesus, and then gave the reason why the child is named with this name. How many times we hear children's name today, not only do we have a difficult time pronouncing it, but we don't even know what the name means. And here we are, Jesus says, or God says in verse 21, that his name shall be called Jesus. Why? For he shall save his people from their sins. The name bore the mission that God had in mind, salvation that would come to the house of the bearers who needed to be redeemed. That meant everybody in that moment of human history. And it didn't take long for us to understand that when he come to save by way of mission, it wasn't just a mission in coming, but it was a mission accomplished. Saves his people from their sins. And we would never, if you think about it, we would never probably be able to figure out is there a name more powerful than that name in terms of redemption? Jesus saves his people from their sins. Let me ask you a question. If you had to think of a name to give your children Oh, let's just say it this way. If you had to describe your children's name in two words, could we do it? Could we really do it? And God did it. God, in giving the name of Jesus, wraps it up in two words. 
God saves. God saves. What's in the name? Perhaps we might want to consider revising some of the names we've given our children because we don't know what they mean, but it's too late for that now. So we do know that by way of meaning and the fact that God, in choosing the name of Jesus, chose a name of past significance. That, that's why I try to tell parents, if you're going to name your child, think about the name and its etymology, its history. What is the name tied to? Because that name is going to be with that child probably for the rest of their life, unless they change it, but it's going to also speak of what that child may become prophetically. He saves is what this name says. God says, I attached it to the past significance, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, the God of salvation. And I want everyone to know that this child that is born in Bethlehem reflects the Joshua of old who led the children of Israel into their land of promise, watch this, but also who established their essential legacy. I want you to understand this because when you name your child, please understand there ought to be some legacy attached to your child's name. That's why you should know what your name means because there's legacy attached there. And here's what God was saying, after so many years of slavery and so many years of grief and so many years of ruthless wanderings, I finally brought them across the River Jordan, a barrier that seemed to them insurmountable, and Jesus, check this out, would be baptized in the same river that they crossed in the Jordan River that they had to cross from death in Egypt to life in Canaan. Do you see the symbolic resemblance? Jesus comes to the Jordan River and John the Baptist, who is there to baptize him, but John says, I don't want to do it because his shoelaces alone, I'm not worthy to tie up. But Jesus said, you've got to do it because I want everybody to see how God puts his stamp of approval on the name that he has given me. And you read the gospel account, it says that when John began to do that, baptize him when Jesus comes up out of the water, God opens up the heaven and looks down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's why you ought to know what your name means. Because it ought to say something about you. And Jesus, not only in helping Israel cross the Jordan, but put himself down in the Jordan and came up to create a bridge over the troubled water that Jordan was for Israel. And even in the modern times, I love him so much because his name will bring you over some troubled waters in life. Do I have a witness in this house that God will bring you over that name Jesus alone? I ain't got time, excuse my English, I ain't got time, I ain't got time 
to formulate no prayer. Sometimes all I can do is just holler out, Jesus, and there is my victory. There is my bridge. I'm talking about a name. There's something in that name that brings healing to the body, that brings hope to life, that brings health to the body. That name does something to your mind, does something to your demeanor, changes your hope. I'm talking about that name. If you never know how that name will lift you up and will turn you around and will place your feet on solid. I'm talking about a name that when you need healing, it'll heal your body. When you need your mind healed, it'll keep hold of your mind. I'm talking about a name that will heal your heart. He called him Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus arrives to become the new Joshua to lead us to salvation with these very pointed clarion words John 10 10 I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly he goes beyond what Joshua does and he provides life more abundantly God attaches Jesus name to past significance. But, but this is even more crazy. God, by meaning of a simple fact, chose a common name among the people. In every way, the mission of his son was to identify with every kind of person who was in humanity. People of the time were looking for someone who was bigger than they were someone who was bigger in life, someone that they expected to be a conqueror. In other words, they were looking for a Samson, someone who could take foxtails and tie them together and yet and take the jawbone of an ass and defeat enemies, someone who would go in and fight and fight and fight. They were looking for a warrior. And if you read the New Testament, Jesus is the greatest warrior that there was. They were looking for a Solomon, someone who possessed an incredible amount of wisdom, who also understood how to discern the times. What people did not expect in Bethlehem in the stable was a peasant. They, they weren't looking for a village carpenter clothed in humility and servanthood. Though he was God, says Paul, he did not think of himself equal to God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Watch this. Here's, good God, here's the shouting news right here. He gave up all of his divine privilege, took the humble position of a slave, and was born a human being unto a woman. He did that not to satisfy him own self, but to die for you and I. It says that when he appeared in the human form, he humbled himself in obedience unto a criminal's death, even the death at the cross. Here's a fact that I know you didn't know. The name Jesus was common enough, listen closely, that another Jesus was slated to be executed at the time of Christ's crucifixion. 
Guess what his name was? Jesus Barabbas. And he was a terrorist. He was a murderer. He was a man who exemplified the lowest level to which humanity could sink. It was this Jesus who was set free from the cross. You remember what the people said when Pilate comes out on the balcony and asked the people, what, what should I do? Who do you want? And they cried out, give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And Pilate said, well, what do I do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. He's a baby in Bethlehem that ends up at the cross beside or near, should I say, one who is named Jesus Barabbas. They let loose the criminal and yet convicted the Savior. Jesus is Nazareth, that common name for an uncommon man, the name of the one who died, watch this, that even the murderer who they let loose would be saved. Here's another fact. There is meaning in the name of Jesus now and for eternity. Jesus himself promised us that whatever we might ask in his name, I'll grant it to you. We are baptized in his name. We serve our friends and our neighbors in his name. In fact, Paul would tell us in the writing of Acts, should I say Luke, in the writing of Acts, there is no name, there is no salvation, no one else, there is no name given unto heaven whereby men must be saved. I'm talking about the name Jesus. Yeshua. God is salvation. But, but what's, what's in this name? Can we go back to verse 21? I'm almost done. I'm going to let y'all out of here. What's in the name? Four quick things. Listen to this name. For he shall save his people from their sins. Hope is in his name. Hope came to a hopeless situation and changed it through the provision of salvation. If we go back to the Old Testament, hope came in the form of a Moses and began to lead people out of Israel, but Moses died and hope didn't die. Hope just came again in another form of a man named Joshua that led them to the land of promise. Hope came because when Christ came to the earth, he brought with him something that everybody needs, deliverance. We all need deliverance, like it or not. We all need some form of deliverance because we realize we needed to be saved from something. All you got to do is just hit the rewind button of your life and realize where hope delivered you from and where God found you at and how God found you and how God saved you. And some of us got histories worse than others, but the bottom line is it don't matter how bad or how good or how minor it looks, you needed to be saved. And he came to save his people from their sins. That's what I'm shouting about. I'm shouting because he looked beyond where I was and saw my need, salvation, to be rescued. 
it was the most humorous point for me when I wrote my PhD dissertation. I wrote about salvation because I argued that salvation is not just about eternity. Salvation is about the existential now, which means, okay, God save me for eternity. I got it. But Lord, eternity is eternity. Right now where I am, I'm in a hell hole and I need a way out of this joint and I need for you to be able to make a way out of no way. There comes my salvation where God gives me a peace of mind. God gives me some strength in my heart. God gives me some hope where it's hopeless. God helps me to see. I'm talking about God bringing salvation to where I am right now. That's the reason why James says if you find somebody who's hungry, don't talk about heaven. Find out how you're going to bring salvation by way of food to their stomachs right now that's what gets me about my right wing brothers and sisters that talk about Jesus all they want to talk about is heaven all they want to talk about is going to heaven all they want to talk about what we're going to have in heaven but I want to know the hungry stomach that's sitting out there on the curb and the homeless mama who's trying to find a place to get shelter for her child and the family who can't find a job and if they do it's not enough to meet ends together I want to know what do we do in terms of bringing Jesus to their house household that they might have salvation now I don't talk a lot about heaven because there's two reasons number one nobody has been there and come back to tell me the reality of where it is and secondly although I want to go there I'm not in any hurry Because here's what I know. Once we're in heaven, church ceases in the sense of we don't have to evangelize anymore. No more preaching. No more praying. No more struggle to do ministry. All that's good, but remember, all that that brings about the knowledge of who God is ceases to be. So in the meantime, I'm just trying to enjoy where I am right now to do what I got to do because I want to help people understand you may not think so, but there's hope in the person of Jesus Christ and he brings deliverance to everyone who wants to be delivered, says Jesus. In John 5, he looks at the man and interestingly, the man gives all kinds of excuses why he can't get to the river or to the water to be healed and Jesus cuts to the chase. That's one thing about Jesus. Don't hold a conversation with him because he's going to cut right to the chase. You can't out talk him. You can't create all these illusions. Jesus said, all I want to know is, do you want to be made well? In other words, do you want deliverance from where you are? If you do, then come follow me. This is how we're going to get this done. And that's what the baby in Bethlehem did. He brought deliverance. And that's what people are looking for us to help them recognize. Is there deliverance in God? Does God in Christ hold the power to set me free? And he does. He does. Now you ask me, how do I know? Well, not only does the text say he shall save his people from their sins, but there's nothing more convincing than eyewitnesses. And I think every one of you serve as an eyewitness. He's delivered you from your sins. But that's not enough. Not just hope, but he brought healing with him. He saved people from their sins. He came to heal 
because of the wounds that they have encountered in life on the battlefield. We are hit by the mortar of sickness, hurt feelings, disappointments, discriminations, and Jesus came to heal these wounds. Now, here's something I found very interesting, and here's a, a medical word, and I thought it was so equating to what Jesus did. It's the word debridgement. And here's what debridgement means. It's a term that describes the removal of damaged tissue or a foreign object from a wound. Now let me just let that sit for a moment because I'm about to shout out my shoes on this right here. Listen to what it says. It's the removal of damaged tissue or a foreign object from the wound. Let me say that one more time. It's the removal of damaged tissue. Damaged tissue. So I got to thinking about the sisters who were molested and the young men who were molested as children. Damaged tissue in their minds and in their and have to live with that for the rest of their life. But watch this. It's the damaged tissue that has been imposed by the foreign object of someone pushing themselves on someone who certainly was not wanted. And look what it says. Jesus, in bringing healing, debridged that wound. He took out of that wound the damaged tissue and the object. Here's what the object is. post-traumatic syndrome. Here's the object. The inability to communicate with others by way of relation because they haven't gotten over or they can't get over the damaged tissue and issue that resides in the wound now. He took it all the way. He took it all out. He took it all out. And you may not have had that kind of experience, but what about those of you who grew up in the segregated South, and you had to experience the discriminating nature of just because of the color of your skin, and you had to bite your tongue when you wanted to respond, and it left a permanent scar in your psyche. And yet here you are today, because he took it out. He removed the object. You don't treat like you were treated because he removed it all. I'm talking about the healing hand of God or the unannounced and unknown injuries that you faced in life. Don't nobody know that but you and God. He worked to remove the damaged tissue and take out the object that broke your life because Jesus came to be a healer. He came to set the captive free. And there are some of you, you may not have had the same challenge as the woman of the issue of blood, but you've had the same context where you've had to stretch to touch the hem of his garment. No, you didn't touch a physical hem, but you stretched out. I stretch my hands unto thee. No other help do I know. 
You talk with psychiatrists. You talk with all manner of professionals. You talk with clergy. You talk with deacons. You talk with friends. You talk with relatives. No one understood what you were going through, but you had a little talk with Jesus who managed to do surgery right where you were sitting. Open up your heart, open up your mind, and remove all of that damaged tissue that was once left there, and now you are whole because you found out Jesus was a healer. He came to save his people from their sin because sin wounds you. You made some decisions in the past and it took a while for that to heal, it was Christ who healed it because people wouldn't let go of your past. They remind you of it. I know who you used to be, where you came from. You ain't fooling me. You're no better than I am. Uh, they made you feel this big. And yet Jesus comes along and carves out with his scalpel all of that tissue that damaged tissue in that object that keeps you from moving ahead, threw it away and restored your soul. He came to save his people from their sin. But verse 23 said, he comes forth from the virgin and his name is called Emmanuel, God with us. God came to be among men in Galilee and Judea and also to eventually live within us each and every day. There's a shouting piece about that alone. There are some witnesses of old who would testify that they were glad that Jesus, or should I say that God came in Jesus, and most importantly, he came in the flesh. If Zacchaeus were here, Zacchaeus would say, you know what, I am so glad that when I heard about him, I got excited, but when I saw him, I climbed a tree. Let me rephrase that. When I heard about him, I went to climb a tree that I might see him. And when I finally saw him, I came down the tree and made my peace with him, and just looking at him healed me and gave me some hope. But that ain't the shouting news. The shouting news is I climbed the hill to see him. I climbed the tree to see him, but he climbed the tree to save me. So he not only was with us, but he managed to take all that I am to the cross with him, and he did that just because I climbed the tree to see him. If blind Bartimaeus was here, he would tell you that, yep, yep, he found me on the side of the road blind. But the great thing about Jesus is when he comes around, if you really want to, he will never leave you the way that he found you. And although he found me blind, he left me seeing because he's the kind of God that brings help in the time of trouble. If, if she were here, if she were here, she's left unnamed, I think, so that we can place our name in her condition, 12 years of bleeding in her body 
without ever being with us, she would have never experienced her divine healing. But because he was with us, she was able to reach out and touch him. So much so that says the text, virtue, life went out of Jesus and it caught his attention. Who touched me? If he were here, the paralytic, he would tell you that had Jesus not been among us, God with us, my friends would have had no place to take me when I was on my bed of affliction. But because he was there, they were able to climb up to the rooftop, pull off the tile, and drop me down right in front of Jesus. Otherwise, I would have missed my healing. Yeah. Talking about help. Peter's mother-in-law if she were here, she would say, had Jesus not been among us, I would have never gotten up from my bed of affliction because Jesus personally touched my hand and says the text, my fever left. I'm talking about help. You may not resonate with any of these particular stories, but yet your story is quite similar. If it hadn't been for Christ living on the inside of you, we would hate to think where we might be if the old man had still been alive and well. I would have not only cussed him out, probably would have knocked him out, but by God's grace, the Spirit of God living inside of me kept me under control. Listen, let's, let's come down and be on real street. There's something for the Lord, I would have hurt somebody or somebody would have hurt me, but God's grace and mercy sort of shuts your mouth, keeps you under control, keeps you where you need to be, and lets you know, don't worry about it, take a chill pill, I got this under control. Be not dismayed, whatever the tie, God will take care of you but you gotta wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart talking about help talking about some help back against the wall flat against the wall nowhere to go I mean flat against the wall and all you can do is cry out Lord have mercy help in the time of trouble his being among us fulfill the words of Isaiah 53 and 4. He himself took our infirmities and carried away all of our diseases. Talking about Emmanuel, God with us. But then let me let you go. I'm let you go for two reasons. One, I'm done, but two, I'm hungry. <laughs> Not only hope saved me from my sins, healing saved me from my sins and even healed from the sin. Help because he's with us, Emmanuel, God with us. But heaven, heaven, the destination. In his name is the destination I long to see someday. Once again, we don't sing it in church because I guess it's an old hymn and it just doesn't appease us anymore. But it's built on real good, solid theology. Oh, I want to see him. Look upon 
his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares my diabetes, my hypertension, my cancer, my difficulty, my heartache, my death, cares all pass. Home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Home at last. Here it is. Ever to rejoice. Praise in isn't just temporary. Praise isn't just every now and then, but when we get to heaven, we get to praise all the time, every day, all day, all through the day. We get to gather around the throne and cry out, glory, glory to the Lamb. Hallelujah. Each and every day, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more heartache, no more difficulty, all because of a baby born in Bethlehem and his name is Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. Took upon himself my sin and your sin and carved a street, a highway from earth to glory. And that name gives me permanent, it guarantees permanent residency in eternity. I close with the words of John, Revelation 21, verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first one had passed away. And here's what I find to shout about. And though there no longer was the need of a son, S. U-N. Didn't need sun anymore because in Revelation 22, he says that the delights of the city is like this. There's a river of water that gives life that's crystal, crystal clear right there in the middle of the city. He says on either side, both sides of the river, the river has a tree that's good for giving life as well. Hanging on the tree, he calls 12 kinds of fruit that yield itself each month that brings healing to all the nations. And no more curses. And the throne of God and the Lamb of God illuminates the entire city. Because Jesus, who it appears lamp in Bethlehem, may have been dimmed by the death at Calvary, messed around and got relit on Sunday morning through the resurrection. And so Revelation 22, 5 says, here it is, they shall all see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. Now I know y'all remember reading back in Revelation 13 and 14, there's another one who's a false prophet who claims that he's going to have a mark of the beast on the head called 666. This ain't he. This ain't the one. This is the true and living Savior who made it possible for us to be in this space henceforth now and forevermore. Because he's Emmanuel, 
He did that by indwelling us with his presence by way of the Holy Spirit. If you look at the birth of Christ, you can see the Trinity at work extremely well. God the Father sends him. God the Son engulfs the Father, and yet in his name he is salvation. And then God the Son not only saves, but according to Ephesians chapter 1, he seals. Now, y'all don't know about that. This is why I feel sorry for my Pentecostal brothers and sisters who believe you can be saved today and lost tomorrow. You need to go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. It says that we are sealed until the day of redemption. That means that God has put a seal over top of me, and it don't matter. You better, you, you better shout on this. It don't matter what I do. God loves me so much that it doesn't affect my salvation. I'm saved to the utmost. Now, John tells me in Revelation, be careful what you do because you'll end up losing some of the crowns of life that God has in store for you. But you will be saved, says Paul in 1 Corinthians. You will scarcely make it in, but you'll be saved. And I'm so glad that God doesn't hold me or doesn't hold against me all of the wrong that I've even done after he saved me. So that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about God using you to bring hope to someone who is hopeless on the day where love is to be expressed over the world. Christmas is about bringing healing to somebody's life who otherwise would still be wounded if it wasn't for you to be there to bring a healing to their life. It's about bringing help to those who are helpless and the only help they will receive is God's help through your hand. And it's about introducing them to an eternity called heaven where the only way they can get there is to embrace this child who's called Jesus because he saves his people from their sins. We don't shout anymore about that. We wait for somebody to tell us how blessed we are in terms of what we have, how much houses we've got and how much money we've got. All that's good. Next year, I'm going to preach on how you ought to be rich. You ought to be wealthy. You ought to be, be growing and multiplying in your life. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But here's the caveat about that. What does it profit you to gain all of the material wealth of the world and lose your soul? See, you, you, you're going to die. I could make a lot of money if I could tell people when they're going to die, but I can't tell you that, so you're going to die. All of us have an ascribed date to our name when the end comes, but here's a revelation. Here's a revelation. Check this out, Deacons. God purposed that we would die physically in order to transition to what he has for us spiritually. Now, at first it didn't make sense to me. I couldn't figure out why let us die. Let's just live. No, no. I got to get you away from where you are physically because where you are physically is tainted by the sin to which you were created. But if I let you die physically, then you can transition to that which I have that is spiritual and it will never be tainted by anything. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this mortality will put on immortality and we don't have to worry about what taints us any longer because God says, I got something bigger and better. And then he says, you're going to go back to the dust to which you were created. And I got to kind of wonder, why, why would you make me, it didn't make me go back to where I began? Because that's where you need to be. Go back to where you started.
You will be returned back to the dust of the earth, but your soul shall survive it all. And you will stand before me and I will reward you. God in Christ symbolically reminded us that one day you will meet your own demise. But I got a passport for you. I, I was at a funeral this past week celebrating the homegoing of uh, Julie Lane's father. And uh, preacher talking about a passport. My father-in-law used to talk about before he died, he talking about, uh, I'm going home on the morning train. Evening train may be too late. I'm going home on a morning train. And then there's another line, back, back church and get your load. Do you have your ticket ready? Has your ticket been stamped? I got mine stamped. Good Friday, April 1976. That's when I got mine stamped. Can't tell you the date because I don't remember the date. It was a good Friday evening. I went to a service trying to be fresh and court a woman, and the woman told me, if you want to go out with me, you got to come to church. I showed up at church trying to fulfill my obligation that I can get a date with this girl and didn't know I'd meet somebody else who would save me for eternity. That's why you got to keep the church door open because somebody who comes to church, they come for one reason, but when the Lord of salvation shows up, he got a whole nother reason why he got them here today. That's why you're not here by accident. There's a reason why you're here. I go to church to court. God said, I brought you to church to save your behind because if you won't careful, you wouldn't be here. See how God works all things together for the good? And look when he did it on Good Friday. I ain't know a thing about what Good Friday meant, but I knew when I heard that preacher say, if you don't get saved today, you might die and spend eternity away from God. I walked in, Ooh, what does that mean? And I walked the aisle, and the preacher said to me, that means that because you made a decision to come accept Christ now, your name is written in God's eternal book of life. And from that day forward, I've been trying to tell folk about get your ticket ready. Get it punched. Get yourself ready. Because death is imminent, and it's coming, and you don't. And that's why you can't work so hard to gain the world and don't have Christ. Lord, this morning, somebody, this afternoon, somebody in this house, I 